Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Firehouse Church. I just want to thank you for joining us here. My name is Rich. I'm one of the pastors here. If I didn't get a chance to meet you, I'd love to meet you afterwards. And you are still welcome to join the Meet the Pastors time here uh, right after the service. We're going to have pizza there, so uh, if you want to get signed up, great. But if you want to show up, uh, well, you can talk to Brad if you still want to sign up. He'll get you some pizza. But um, I like that. It's called Meet the Pastors, not to be confused with Meet the Press, which also occurs on Sunday mornings. Is that right? But uh, no, it should, it should be a good time there. Um, let me see any other announcements we have. I think that's it for now. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then uh, I'm going to jump into uh, who we're talking about this morning. This morning we're talking about the life of Gideon. We've got some fun lessons from his life, but we're also going to share a little with, uh, little with you about what... Uh, what happened this weekend at a, a leadership retreat that we took? We had a great time there, and uh, love to uh, share with you some things about that, but but not many enough to hopefully whet your appetite for a future meeting here. So, um, anyways, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll jump into this. Ah, well, Lord Jesus, we do just uh, thank you for this morning. Thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for giving us life today. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for dying for us. Lord, I pray that you would uh, meet with us here this morning. Speak to us. God, help us to learn some lessons uh, from the life of Gideon that you've recorded for us to learn from. Help us to be encouraged by Gideon's example and, and your interaction with him, Lord. And I just want to commit this time to ask you for extra grace this morning, Lord. It's been a crazy, busy weekend here. And uh, I just ask that um, for the sake of, of blessing the people here and, and for your sake, Lord, that you would give grace to help people hear what you want them to hear. And, uh, and just uh, give us that help capture our attention this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, a couple of things before. Uh, one, uh, sometimes from time to time, I like to just give a slice of life. Um, there, there should be a handout sheet going around here, so if you want that, you know, just can jot down a few notes here this morning. And not any blanks to fill in, just uh, make your own notes. If you doodle, and it's a cool picture, you might show me later. I'd love to check it out. Um, my kids do that often. Um, but a few things here. I was just thinking about um, one story from this past week. It's been a crazy week, crazy weekend. Uh, one was uh, I thought was kind of fun, made me chuckle in my home uh, this week. But we're, you know, as, as dads and husbands, uh, when things break in your house, who do people look to to fix them? Dads, dads, husbands, things like that. When there's emotional trials and struggles going on, who do people look to to fix them? Well, not the dad. Dads, you know, it's kind of this. Uh, it's kind of a catch twenty two. You know, when something breaks, when something's dangerous, electrically or otherwise, they look to the dad. You know, come fix this. You know, the kids tell me dad's the best fixer. When it's an emotional situation, when there's this need for listening and understanding, you bring that same skill set to the table and they say, I don't want you to fix it, I just want you to listen. It's, it's so confusing sometimes. But <laughs> anyways, we had a situation where my daughters asked me to come and help. A light bulb went out in their room. You know, that's pretty straightforward. We can handle that, right, guys? Um, but anyways, I got up there to take the light bulb out and in the process of unscrewing it, it like just snapped off and fell to the ground and shattered everywhere. And so, you know, we, we had to sweep that up, watch out for glass on the bare feet. The kids were all in pajamas. But the, the other problem was that it left the metal part inside the light socket still. So, uh, I don't know, I'm not an electrical engineer or, or electrician for that matter, but 
generally speaking, metal in a socket is not a good thing, right? So I went to go get the pliers, and I'm trying to figure out, well, was the light turned on or was the light not turned on? You know, it makes kind of a difference here. Uh, I wanted to try to deal, deal with it without getting to the breaker box. You know, that's kind of like if you have to, uh, go to the breaker box, you know, right? <laughs> Just joking, honey. I, I usually go to the breaker box. But anyways, we tried to, uh, you know, I was thinking about it, and the kids came up to me, my daughters came up to me a little bit later, and they go, Dad, we were talking about this, and we tried to count how many times we flipped the switch after it was broken, and, and we think it's turned off right now, just to let you know. <laughs> so, going on that information, I, I still pulled out a screwdriver with you know a nice uh, plastic handle on it. I went up there and touched the, the wires that were hanging, and sparks flew, and so uh, I knew it was not turned off. But uh, eventually we got it done. Eventually I did turn the breaker box off. I unscrewed it, got another light bulb in. Still doesn't work, but anyways, uh, I think we blew something else in the process. But that, that was a fun little exciting thing. Dad, we think we we think it's turned off. So go ahead, <laughs> risk your life on this one. Um, uh, another thing that we did, some of you knew and some of you were praying for, uh, we had a leadership retreat this week and a couple of pastors, we had John Meyer come down from Fort Collins, he's kind of a, a regional uh, leader and we had um, Greg Miller joined us, who's uh, our full-time deacon, pastor in training, you, you know, utility get it done guy, um, he joined us as well. Tim Cavanaugh was not able to make it there, so Tim, I'm going to share with you some of the things you missed. Um, but we, we had fun. It's this, uh, someone allowed us to stay at a cabin for free, this mountain home that is you know, probably more expensive than a mountain home I've ever rented or been in or anything like that. So it was a great time. We, we were having official pastoral meetings. You know, It wasn't just a vacation. Sometimes they call them a retreat. But it was a really nice place for a retreat. The home did have a hot tub in, in the back there with strobe lights and things like that. And there, there were, uh, you know, there was elk wandering around the property. There there were all sorts of things. So it was a great time. Um, you know, a couple highlights I think of were, um, oh, they have a, their own horseshoe pit there in the backyard. It was pretty cool. Uh, I don't know if you play horseshoes or not, but eventually we, we got into a game of horseshoes there. And we're talking to Dennis. We're talking to everyone, kind of see who, who's the good horseshoe players here. And you know, Dennis is like, oh, you know, I, I'm okay. I played a little or something like that, which translates to Dennis is a dead ringer on horseshoes. Don't ever play him for money. <laughs> We should have known better. Um, but then you have someone like John Meyer who said, you know, yeah, I never really have played horseshoes. And, and you know, take John at his word. He never really has played horseshoes. And we had uh, times where he and, and Brad played a little horseshoes with us too. I don't think Brad's played much before either. But there were times when they were thrown at the horseshoe pit and there was nothing, you know, close enough for horseshoes. There was nothing even in the, the horseshoe pit at all. We were just like, the pit is still open. We'll give you points for getting in the pit here, guys. Um, so we had a fun time there. We had some other things. Uh, I think Brad had a fun one. Of the highlights was uh, one morning we got up early to have quiet times, and, and he decided uh, he had not gotten to use the hot tub. He missed the hot tub party the night before. So Brad took his Bible, took his Faith Walker's journal, and, and headed to the hot tub. And, and it is now, we call it the holy hot tub now. He had a quiet time there, and it was a, you know, that was an awesome experience. Um, what else do we have? I think Greg, Greg helped cook up there. Greg, we realized that... Greg's an amazing cook. He said it's kind of like cooking is kind of like doing a architecture with food. You know, you bring these different uh, uh, materials together and you put it together in the right way and something beautiful comes from it. And, and Greg's a great cook. We had fun with him there. But anyways, we also came away with a few other things besides fun. We came away with um, this here. 
is a, uh, a map of the Denver metro area from kind of the north side of town here way up to, uh, boy, Firestone, I think, on the north side. And then way down to, I think you catch Franktown or something down in the bottom corner. We've got a bunch of dots here. We tried to um, put dots representing places where people in this church come from, places where you and I come from. And so we tried to put dots in as best we could tell. You know, some of them we didn't, you know, we got, got LC down here. LC's kind of got his own location there. We've got a bunch down from uh, the Parker area, some from the Brighton, Westminster, Arvada. And so as we looked at that, it was just a part of our time of prayer and stuff there. And we had a really, really good time. I think... Um, one of the highlights for me while we were there was uh, one of the mornings after we had just had quiet times, time alone with God. We, before we'd meet, we spent some good time in prayer and we would sing. And one morning, uh, we, we got out. It was a beautiful, uh, you know, beautiful morning out there in, in these mountain peaks and there was Grand, Grand Lake down below. And, and the five of us just got out there on the deck and we sang How Great Thou Art together. And it was awesome just singing about the Creator as we looked at His creation. Um, another thing, when the meeting was done, we were, we were going up there to seek God for, God, what is your vision for this church? What do you want to do with us? Uh, we were talking about an Acts 1-8 plan, things like that. But by the time we were done, I think uh, one of the, the verses that summarized it was one that was um, from Acts 15 at one point when they're, uh, they're writing this letter to these churches. But they said as they were writing, they just said, and you know, after our discussions were done, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to, you know, to go on with, with the plan they had there. But when we were done, we just felt like God met us up there. And God gave us a plan that was just like, I don't think we could have you know, figured it out on our own. We just sat kind of in awe that we've met with God. We feel like we've got marching orders from God that are beyond marching orders that we've ever had before as a church, thinking further down the road than we've ever thought before. And so we're excited to begin communicating those to you. And this morning, we are not going to do that. We still uh, still have a few conversations to have. We need to catch up with Tim a little and talk through those, make sure it seems good to him and the Holy Spirit too. Um, we, uh, we're going to talk to our leadership group this week. We normally don't. We have a pastor's meeting on Tuesday nights, the first Tuesday of the month. This week, we'd like to invite all leaders who would like to hear more about uh, the vision that we feel like God has given us. We'd like to invite you to join us this Tuesday night at the church instead of next Tuesday night. At worship night, we're going to spend time just worshiping God together. Um, we're going to break bread together, but we're not going to unveil the full plans there yet either. But next Sunday morning, as a part of Mother's Day, we'd like to honor mothers, bless mothers. We've got some gifts for them. We're also just going to bless them with a vision that might scare them off. They might not ever come back again. But, um, but no, we're, we're going to incorporate that into our message next week. There. So I just wanted to give you a little heads up of some of our game plan. We're very excited. Um, we have some fun terminology to share with you. You notice um, we, the push pins that we used were clear and we couldn't see them very well. So then we found whatever markers we could. Our options were blue, black, and pink. We left out the pink. We went with the blue and the black ones here. But um, we, uh, we had a lot of discussion over blue dots and black dots and the ramifications. And so even as you look at this PowerPoint here, those blue dots are not there accidentally. Lots of meaning in those. Um, but no, just, just joking. But anyways, so we are going to talk about Gideon this morning. And I think the exciting thing about Gideon's story is that as it relates to vision, as it relates to things that 
think God wants us to tackle as a church, Gideon's story is just right. It's perfect for that. Some of the lessons that we can learn from Gideon's life are lessons that we're going to need as a church. And we're also, I think they relate to things that might be going on personally in your world. Some of the things, we'll talk about that. But I'm just excited that uh, God has this, uh, this story for us this morning in the context of what's going on all around us. And so we're going to read Gideon's story here starting in Judges chapter 6. And we're not going to read the full 6, 7, and 8 because worst case we have a pastor, uh, meet the pastors at noon here. So we've got to be done by then. Um, but we're, we're going to kind of look at some excerpts of, of this story here from Gideon throughout Judges 6, 7, and 8. And so um, I'm just going to pray one more time here, guys, before we start looking at chapter 6 and verse 1. Here, let's just uh, ask God to speak to us one more time. Well, Lord Jesus, we do again thank You. We thank You for answering many prayers that went into this weekend, Lord, to meeting with You and hearing from You and and God, that was an exciting time. You have exciting plans for us, we sense, Lord. And uh, I just pray, Lord, You'd help us to, to hear from You this morning as it relates to our own lives personally, some of the things before us, and as it's going to relate to us as a church and, and the needs that we're going to have to carry out Your vision. And so, God, again, I just pray You would open up a channel from Your Spirit through Your Word to, to our hearts this morning, Lord. Help us to hear from You. Help us to respond to You, Lord. Um, uh, like the verse says today, if, if we hear your voice, Lord, help us not to harden our hearts, but to respond. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here. So let's uh, look at Judges chapter 6. And we're going to read uh, We're going to read the first ten verses here just to kind of get the context of the story here. Some of you might know it. Um, might already know some good points out of it. We're, there's so many good points, we're not going to get to cover them all. But there, there are four lessons we are going to... We're going to pull out of this. So, um, anyways, Gideon and uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years He gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain clefts and caves and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites and Amalekites and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza uh, and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their, their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, He sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from, all the, from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave, uh, gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. So we're going to stop right there and just kind of catch what's going on. Um, We'll see here. Um, so this verse here, you know, this is one of the verses we're just going to start things with. Uh, and, and in the NAS it says it like this, So Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the sons of Israel cried to the Lord. 
And if you see what's going on there, the, the Israelites had stopped, stopped obeying God, stopped doing what He said they should be doing in that land. And, um, and He had said, and if, if you don't follow me or obey me here, here's what's going to happen. And sure enough, exactly what He said happened. Um, and they were oppressed. They were impoverished by the Midianites, the Amalekites. They, they just ravaged the land. They put them into hiding. It was just... Um, it was not an encouraging situation. And, you know, one of the things I'm struck by uh, when I read through the Judges here, and a lot of times when I read through the Old Testament, is that how many times was it that Israel and the people of God, it's like they had to get oppressed. They had to be in desperate situation. They had to be uh, overwhelmed. And then they cried out to the Lord. And every time the Lord responded and He answered them. And... Um, I don't know, this is a, another example of that. They were brought very low and then they cried out to the, to the Lord. And I don't know how many times I look at them and I go, Come on guys, you I could see this coming a mile away. You're, you're not going to follow God and He's going to bring things. This, he's going to put the smack down on you and then you're going to start calling out to Him and He's going to have mercy again and get you out of a pickle and then we do it again. And sometimes I can get a little frustrated with the Old Testament people. And, and then I know, I know in my own life, I go... Boy, I find myself in situations where I go, oh, maybe I should have prayed about that. Maybe I should pray about that now. Boy, I wish I would have prayed about that sooner so I wouldn't find myself in this situation. Any of you ever experienced that before? Please, I hope so. Or is this me? I'm preaching to myself here this morning. All right. Me too. Sometimes that happens. And, you know, um, one of the things I want to just draw out about that is that the amazing thing is that every time this happened, every time someone was sinning or turned their back on God and they got in a tough situation, uh, an oppressive situation, they're facing desperate odds like these guys were, God, when they cried out to Him, He answered them. And in this situation, sometimes we're put in hard situations, challenging you know, situations, and... Um, Sometimes that's because of our own fault, you know, because we've chosen to sin and God has followed through on His warning. He said, you do this and I'm going to do that. And that's exactly what we find here. These people chose to sin and turn their back on God and God allowed bad things, hard things to happen to them because of their very own choices. And sometimes we can say, well, you know, I guess someone in that situation deserves it. But I think the, the good news, the encouraging truth from this is that when they were in that situation, time and time and time again, God responded to them. God graciously helped them out. And when you and I get in that situation time and time and time again, guess what? Even because of our own sin, God, He longs to help us out. He's so gracious to help us out. There's, um, you know, and that's uh, just, God answers the prayers of those who are, are overwhelmed with desperate odds. When you get in those desperate situations, you know what? God answers those. He answered them. Uh, another psalm I just read recently, the one-year Bible, if you're reading that, you might have seen this as well, but He will respond to the prayers of the destitute. He will not despise their plea. When you get in a really hard and overwhelming situation, God is there for you and He's ready to help. He's uh, willing. He longs to be gracious to us. Uh, it says in Isaiah 30 there. But... Um, but you know, the other thing to realize is it's good news that He'll respond to us. And that, but you know what else is good news? Maybe even better news? God will respond to our prayers even before we get into that situation. You don't have to wait till things are desperate and oppressive to call out to God. He'll respond to us even before that. And I know we all know that, but um, 
Uh, sometimes if we can learn that or apply that before we get in those situations, you know, that's a good thing too. But if we find ourselves in a situation like this, um, we just it's encouraging to know God. God will meet you there. And in some ways, what, what I, what a new thought for me as I read through the story of Gideon is that this whole story of Gideon, all that God did with them to set, set them free from their, their oppressors, they drove off an army, and we'll read here, of 135,000 warriors. And um, all of that happened... Not in a vacuum, not in this random story. All of the story of Gideon happened because of what? Because the Israelites cried out to God. They cried out to God and what happened? God responded. God raised up a Gideon. God did some amazing things with Gideon. All because, it was all in response to their prayer. And that's, I think it's good to know. Sometimes there's this phrase, I remember a teaching from years ago at a pastor's conference. Uh, there was uh, one of our kind of Bible teacher guys, Herschel Martindale. He did a, a teaching on prayer. And his thought, one of his opening thoughts was this about prayer. You know, sometimes we can have an attitude about prayer. It's like, prayer, has it come to that? Has it come to that? Do we have to, do we have to pray about this? I mean, our bank account's not helping us. Our friends aren't, you know, that they're not getting us out of this issue. Things aren't working. Has it come to that? Maybe we should pray. And unfortunately, that's how prayer can often be approached, even though we know the Scriptures are full of that. That's, you know, probably half the Christian life is God's Word and prayer and Word and prayer. And, um, but has it come to that end? And sometimes we find that it has come to that. And so, um, but anyways, we're going to look at, well, what did God do in response to that? Um, and as the story goes, so let's see, well, we're just going to read another section of it. Um, but, you know, the big picture, I hope you know, God, God raises up Gideon, and He helps drive off the Midianites, and He helps defeat their oppressors, and He helps them overcome um, desperate odds, uh, amazing odds, you know, and, and even with very limited resources. And so, one of the, we're going to look at some of the reasons why God did that, why He used Gideon, what can we learn from Gideon that we might apply to maybe some challenging situations you're facing. I think, as you think through your life, that challenge might be, maybe it's in a, a financial challenge. You're looking at some financially desperate numbers out there. Maybe it's an emotional challenge. There's things going on. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a relationship that is so strained that you could describe it as desperate. If God doesn't come through, I don't know what we'll do. Maybe it's uh, something in your own life, uh, something of character where you go, I've tried to change this again and again, and I just cannot change this area of my life. And I don't know what that is for you, but, but all of these truths are going to apply. God can help you overcome uh, desperate odds here with very limited resources, as a matter of fact. And so, we're going to look at one of, the, one of the things, though, that's needed for that to be true for us. And we're going to keep reading here, verse 11. And we'll go down to verse um, 16 here. But it says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah. Uh, Oprah. Oprah, no. It's not Oprah. Um, that belonged to Joash and uh, the Abizarite, Eb, sorry, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But, sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us, and he's put us in the hand of Midian. 
the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. And so one of the, the first lessons of Gideon's life we're going to focus on here is that to be used by God to overcome uh, these desperate odds, it's going to take a little bit of humility. It's going to require a little bit of humility. And, and we're going to look at some things that, that humility might be like that, and things that it might not be like. But when I think of Gideon, one of the words that I've often used in teaching and stuff is that I think of Gideon was a goober. And a goober is, um, I don't know what comes to mind when you think of goober. Nick, is there a way to skip to that picture here? And, and just this is something that might come to mind. I don't know if goobers. Um, we can go back to that. But a goober is, a, I think the definition of a goober is a peanut. Anyone from the south there? Goober peas, eating goober peas. It's, it's a peanut. And so um, I think Gideon was somewhat of a goober. He might have called him an underdog. He was a nobody. And, and yet God used him. And so sometimes the lesson can be, hey, God uses goobers. I'm a goober. This is great, you know. But that's not the lesson that we're going to look at here, as a matter of fact. Um, unfortunately, if, if you think God uses goobers, you could find yourself being wrong. He can use goobers, but not because of being an oddball. You know, that's not a prerequisite for God. Um, but, so, so it's not just a goober thing. We've got to get that straight. Sometimes we go, yeah, God uses goobers. All these characters in the Old Testament are goobers. Well, occasionally you bump into to guys that weren't goobers that God used. You know, I think of Daniel and some of these other ones that were just stud ducks, you know, stud ducks for the Lord. Um, and so sometimes it can, we can think, well, yeah, I don't want to be a goober, but I do want to be a rock star for Jesus. You know, God uses supermodels for Jesus. So that's, that's what I want to be. I don't want to be a goober like... Those guys, the goobers know who they are. And the supermodel people, they know who they think they are. Um, but again, it's not about being really cool to be used by God. And it's not about being really uncool to be used by God. Um, you know, it's about being humble. And we've got to catch that. We've got to catch that. We've, sometimes there can be... Um, you know, we can think it's about being odd. Boy, God really uses that. I'm, I'm just quirky, and so God must use me. Eventually, he just figure out this quirkiness is really going to come in handy for a situation. That's not true. There's no promise on that. There's, there's nothing in the Scriptures that would say that's true. The rock star side of things is, again, you know, maybe I'm cool enough. Maybe I'm chic enough. Maybe I'm in shape enough. Maybe I'm stylish enough to be used by God. And guess what? It's not going to cut it here. And, and sometimes we can have pride as it relates to things like this. We can pride ourselves in how quirky and eccentric we are. We can pride ourselves in, in how cool we are in some circle. And, and we, you need to know this. God, God will use a humble person. He opposes pride. This verse here says, um, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance and evil behavior and perverse speech. And so if you think you can be a rock star for Jesus and be proud and cool, you are so wrong because God hates pride. And if you think you're, you're just the worst person ever and, you know, come and come grab coffee with me and I'll tell you for hours and hours how terrible of a person I am, you know, that's just self-centered pride as well. It's just getting people's attention another way. And God will oppose that. And God will not use that. And we just have to remember, sometimes I think pride to God is like, uh, I think of it like body odor. Um, how many of you like other people's body odor? How many of you just raise your hand? You really or gravitate towards people with body odor? Anyone? 
I do not. Uh, some people might. I know in other cultures, there's cultures where that is, I've heard, that's a, that's a cool thing. And, and not in my culture, not in my home. Um, but, you know, sometimes pride, it's kind of like body odor. You know, we hate, it, we hate it the most when we can smell it in someone else. You know, we get, we're appalled by other people's body odors. And sometimes we're the last one to recognize, hey, you know, that doesn't smell so good either. But it's mine, you know, and we kind of get used to it. Same thing can be true with pride. We go, I can't believe how pride they are. They are always, you know, waxing on their opinions and they're going off about this and that and themselves. And I just can't believe how proud they are. And then we turn around and our speech is full of ourselves. And in the process of bagging on them, we were just sharing our opinion, you know. And God, God opposes that. And God, pride is like body odor. It's worse than body odor. Again, that cultures, other cultures, that might be a great thing. But to God, pride is never a good thing. And we have to know that. And He doesn't care what your, your odor is or what your, you know, what fragrance you use, Irish Springs or something else. But He does care about whether you are proud or you are humble. And so... Um, we need to realize that. It's not just about being a goober. other thing here is that um, we, we also need to catch that being humble, it's not about humbling cir- circumstances. Humbling circumstances are no substitute for being humble. Many, many people find themselves in really hard, really difficult situations. Maybe it's related to, to breaking the law. Maybe it's related to the judicial system. Maybe it's related to something. And just because you're in a hard situation, a humbling situation, that is no substitute for being humble. As a pastor over the last number of years, time and time again I'll find people in situations that... Uh, should be humbling, but in the middle of a very humbling and hard situation, that a person can go off about all the other people that made this uh, their situation so hard. And they can be very proud. People in prison, there's many of them that, you know, there are many innocent people in prison, right? You've heard that before. Everyone's innocent there um, in, in, in their own eyes sometimes. And so, just because we're in those circumstances, that doesn't mean we have to be, we're going to be humble. Sometimes maybe we are humble for a moment, and then we get back and on our feet again, and we get proud again. No substitute for a humble heart. Um, that's the next thing here. God, just we need to know, God graciously helps the one who's humble. You could be a goober, and you could be, you know, GQ. I don't know, but, um, but if you're not humble, God will not use you. And as a matter of fact, God will probably discipline you where there's pride. And we've got to, we just got to catch that. These verses here, you know, this is the one I esteem. God says, here's who I'm looking, here's who I'm looking to help out. Here's who I'm looking to bless. The one who's humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. You know, contrite, they talk about being sensitive. It's like a bruise. When you're contrite, you know, someone touches that, you go, ow. But you know, the contrite and the humble are tied together. Do you have a sensitive humility? When there's things going on, are you sensitive to, oh, that's kind of proud. Oh, a humble person would do this. God wants me to do this. We have to have a, a sensitive humility here, and, and God will use this, and, and He will oppose the proud. And so, But Gideon, he had that. You know, he, he was there. You know, he's doing some things. I don't fully understand. Maybe he's afraid of the Midianites. He's threshing out wheat in the, in the wine press, and uh, that's kind of a funny thing in and of itself there. But when the angel comes and talks to him, and, you know, some say this is a, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus, and he's talking with Gideon. But as they're dialoguing, you know, the... The Lord says to him, Hey, Gideon, let's do this thing. I'm with you, mighty warrior. And then Gideon's kind of like, Yeah, but, uh, you know, I love that phrase there. He just says, But, but, I'm, but I'm the least. And my family's the smallest. How, how can you do something like that with me? And Gideon was humble. He did have a humble heart. Uh, sometimes 
when, when we, we think about our own lives or in our own heart, we can, maybe we can appear humble. Maybe we kind of do all the things that people think we're humble and in the inside we go, God, you know, I know I'm better than this person. I came across pretty humble though, didn't I? You know, um, and, and God sees that. And this says, God uses those who are humble, humble in heart, contrite on the inside, not just on how you appear. And we've got to watch for that. But, you know, Gideon was just like... I, I'm the least, so I don't know how this is going to happen. He didn't say, it's about time, man. I've been waiting for you, God. I am ready. I'm your warrior. I'm your man. Let's do this thing. He said, you know, why me? Who am I? I'm the least. And then we could say, well, maybe that was just his response, but you go on and see other things. You know, one, one example I just love to um, review later in the story here, when you know, he's trying to figure out, Gideon's trying to go, okay, I need to get the nerve up. I'm afraid to do this. God wants to use me here. And... Over here, I'm just going to skip to the section here in Judges 7 and 13. and um, Well, actually, 11, and 11 to 13 here. But, you know, God's just telling, trying to encourage this guy that's maybe humble, maybe a little afraid, timid. Um, but, you know, God says this, 7 and verse 10, If you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Pura, and listen to what they're saying. And afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura went down to the outpost of the camp. The Midianites and Melchites and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. And Gideon arrived just as a man was telling his friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling in the Midianite camp, and it struck the tent with such force the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon. Um, God has given Gideon, uh, given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. You know, and then it said Gideon went away, he worshipped God, went away encouraged and went and kicked tail there. But, um, you know, I'm just struck by how Gideon's going, he's, he's trying to get a little courage to do this, get a little faith up for doing this. And God says, here, I'll give you something encouraging. He has this whole thing play out and it's just, I just think it's so funny that God used this, this picture. You know, I think Gideon... If I were in his shoes, I'd rather have been like, okay, the guy had this vision, and he's like, this warrior came in on a mighty battle steed, and he swung his sword, and uh, the whole camp filled with blood, or something like that, you know? But, but the way God arranged it was, He said, this, this barley loaf was thrown at a tent. You know, back in the days, they said, some of the scholars, they say barley loaf was like, as you think of where loaves of bread are on the pecking order, barley loaves are at the bottom. They're really sometimes for animals and things like that. It wasn't a cool thing. And, and God said, I'm going to use this loaf of bread. I was trying to think of a modern day. What's the most uncool loaf of bread-like substance you can think of? Wonder bread, you know? <laughs> Wonder bread's uh, Twinkies, other ones. You know, I, I think... Loaf of bread, I think, with the lowest esteem I could think of is a fruitcake. You know, if you get a fruitcake that's in a loaf-like shape. I'm just thinking, imagine God saying, I took this fruitcake and I hurled it at the tent and the fruitcake knocked the tent over and, and Gideon's like, yeah, let's do this thing, you know. And, and I don't know, some ways it's kind of like going, Gideon, and Gideon accepted that. He didn't say, God, come on, a barley loaf. Um, why, why not the, the warrior image? I really love that one. That encouraged me more. He took the barley loaf image and said, let's rock and roll. I, I'm cool with that. I understand. I get the picture. It's about you and, and not the fruitcake here. And, and let's go defeat these guys. And he did. But I think part of the reason God used that image is, you know, it was, it was kind of a humble picture. And I think Gideon was kind of a humble guy. And maybe, I mean, if for some reason he was not a humble guy, he might have been a little more humble after, after the fruitcake uh, image there. But, um, 
But I just, we need to know God uses humble people. When we face these things ahead of us, it's not about if you're an oddball. We don't need more oddballs in this world, and we don't need any more super cool people. We need some more humble people, and those are the type of people God's looking to use still today. And I want to be one of those, and I hope you do too, because I think God can do some great things with us. This next section here, let's just look at um, God also uses some with a little bit of humility and a little bit of faith here. You know, this is one of the sections where we know the whole passage where Gideon fleeces God. You know what? We'll read this section here. Uh, this, I think, is from the, the message. But it just says, Gideon said to God, If this is right, you know, God, if this is really what you want me to do, if you're using me to save Israel, as you've said, then, then look, I'm placing a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If dew is on the fleece only, uh, but the floor is dry, then I'll know that you'll use me to save Israel, as you've said. And so, you know, that night he, he placed the fleece there and it was exactly like he had said. The, the fleece was wet and the ground was dry. And then he did the whole thing again. He's like, God, okay, I'm, I'm getting you. I think I'm hearing you. I think this is what you want to do. And he kind of reverses the equation and says, God, this next time, if the fleece is dry and the ground is wet, then I'll really know this is what you want to do with me. And, and so he did the whole thing again and, and God answered that. And I don't know, sometimes we can ask the question, was, was Gideon testing God here? How many of you think Gideon was testing God? Don't we know? Do not test the Lord your God. It kind of seems like he was testing him. Um, but, and some scholars I was reading, they go, man, Gideon, he was, this was his error. He was in error. He was not in faith. He was just testing God. God, really, show me. Show me if you're out there. But I don't, I don't think that was the case. And, and I'm not just going to share my opinion. I think there's scriptural basis for this. But, you know, when Gideon was asking this, it was kind of asking with a little bit of faith. You know, in some ways to ask God, hey God, if, if this is what you want me to do, uh, show me a sign or something. It takes faith to even give God that sort of proposition. God, if you want me to do this, then can you cause this to happen? Because, you know, if you don't think God is real or if you don't think God responds... Why, why even throw out a test there that you know it takes faith to even do that? And he did that. Now, this is like three times that he, the first time with the angel, he said, Hey, Lord, if this is really you, take this offering. And the, the Lord caused the offering to burn up. And he's like, Okay, this kind of seems like it's really the Lord speaking to me. Then he does it two more times. And again, God responds to him two more times. And, and I don't think it was just the testing God. I think the difference between testing God and what was going on here, I think, has to do with the attitude. There's a, a well-known atheist who does debates with people. Uh, I think it's Dan Barker is his name. And, and back in the days, I don't know if he still uses this as his argument, but he says something like, if God is real, if God, if you're really out there, make a pink elephant show up in this room right now. And that's his test? Uh, or is that, you know, does he really think God is real? You know, I think it's the dumbest thing ever. I'm like... One, God's not like some sort of genie in a bottle that you just go, God, if you do this, you know, he, he doesn't just respond like that. And two, if a pink elephant showed up in a room, I don't think the guy would, he'd probably be like, was I hallucinating? What happened? I don't think he'd actually believe. Three, I think if God ever did answer that, I would think God would set the elephant right smack on top of the guy. It'd be my guess. I don't know. But, but I don't think Gideon was doing that. And one of the reasons why is because God listed Gideon in the Bible, the Faith Hall of Fame. When God was selecting people to include in Hebrews 11 as examples of faith, you know who he's listed there in verse 32? Gideon. Gideon is on the list of the Faith Hall of Fame. And so... I think that's one of the reasons why he wasn't testing him. He was just trying to strengthen his position of faith. He was trying to make sure he needed what he needed to, to go do it. It was still a faith venture. Um, 
In that passage in Hebrews 11, you know, it just talks about, I love this, you know, it says, What more shall I say? Do I, not, I do not have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouth of lions, quenched the fury of flames, escaped from the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. And I wonder if that last one's not related to Gideon. Became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies um, through faith. His faith turned his weakness into strength. And you know, with a little bit of faith, it just unleashes God's power to act on our behalf. And, and so we need to have a little bit of faith in some of the things that we're facing here. And make sure that if you're in a situation and you want it to change, you want to overcome it, Faith has got to be a part of that. It doesn't have to be a huge amount of faith. I think Gideon's faith was maybe sketchy at best. It's hard to say. But Jesus said it only takes a mustard seed of faith. A little tiny bit of your faith connects with the infinite resources of God. If you know mathematics at all, a little number times a big number, like infinity, is a really big number still. You know? And so that's the same with our faith. A little bit of faith, God's infinite power goes a long way. We need to catch that. Let's see here. You know, and the, and the last thing I want to say on that one is just, so give God something to respond to. I encourage you, whatever situation in, whatever challenge you're facing as we look at things as a church, give God a little something to respond to. Even if it's a God, if, if you really want me to share my faith with that person, have them say hi to me. I don't know what it is. Uh, you know, but you give God something to respond to. This verse here is just a great one. It's impossible to please God apart from faith. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that He exists and that He cares enough to respond to those who seek Him. Give God something to respond to whatever challenge you're facing here and as we move forward as a church. A little bit of obedience. We'll just do this one quickly here. But, you know, at one point uh, God told Gideon, He said, uh, I want you to go and cut down these idols, uh, this Asherah pole in your, in your hometown, in your family's yard, basically. Go cut this down and, and offer a sacrifice to the Lord on it. And so it says Gideon took ten of his servants. He did as the Lord told him. Because he was afraid um, of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than daytime. And so he, he obeyed God. God said, I want you to do this. But he was kind of afraid. And so instead of doing it in broad daylight, he went in the middle of the night, chopped this thing down, offered a sacrifice to God. It was a nighttime obedience, but it was a real obedience. And we need to make sure that, that we're obeying what God wants us to do. A few things just to hit on that is praying. When we pray with faith, we give God something to respond to. Praying is not a substitute for obeying God. Sometimes we can think, yeah, I prayed about that. I prayed about sharing my faith. I prayed about discontinuing that sin. Praying is not the same thing as obeying. Sometimes praying helps us to obey. But, um, you know, I think about... Um, my kids, you know, if I ask my kids to do something, this it made it pretty simple for me. I asked uh, one of my kids, "Hey, you know your chore? You haven't done your chores yet. Would you take out the trash?" You know, and if they responded, "Dad, I'll sure pray about that. I'll start praying about that right now." Um, you know, that's that's real sweet. But I just asked you to take out the trash there, 
darling daughter or wonderful son. Um, you know, praying about it is not the same thing as obeying, guys. And so many times we go, I'm praying about that. I'm praying about stopping that sin. I'm praying about sharing my faith. Um, that is not the same thing, men and women. It, maybe it'll help us get there, but don't confuse praying with obeying. You know, I think of examples in the Old Testament. One of the examples that stands out in my mind is King Saul. And Samuel told him to go and destroy uh, this wicked nation that was a nation that was uh, one that did like child sacrifices and things like that. And a part of God's judgment, he said, wipe them out. I don't want any part of them to be able to reproduce because of this wickedness. And Samuel, uh, Saul goes and he kills a lot of things. And, but, you know, God said, I want you to get rid of everything, all their plunder, all of, you know. And so Saul goes and does some of that. But then Samuel comes back around and says, hey, I thought you did this. And, and Saul said, I did. I, I did this and I did this. And he's like, well, why are all the sheep? I hear the sheep. There's the cattle. I hear, well, yeah, but I, I was doing, I was going to give that to the Lord and stuff like that. And he goes on to say to, to obey is better to, than to sacrifice. And eventually Saul broke down and said, you know what, I was afraid of these people and so I didn't do what I was told to do. But he was arguing that he was carrying out his mission. And one day I'm afraid there's going to be many of people who would call themselves disciples of Jesus. And he said, what about my mission? And we're going to say, well, well, I did. Or I prayed about it. I prayed about sharing my faith. I prayed about... We just have to catch that as no substitute for obeying. And when we... And God... God bless us when we have a little bit of humility, a little bit of faith, a little bit of obedience. Now, his obedience happened to tie directly into something else. He had to cut down some of the idols, uh, his family idols, as a matter of fact, his city's idols. And so, you know, God said, go chop that down. And it was kind of this big to-do because, well, you know, um, our God Baal here is going to get mad that you cut down his idol and... um, But you know, sometimes in our lives, when it comes to obeying, the the lesson I came away with is that, you know, he had to overcome fear. He he obeyed at nighttime, and he still got rid of that idol. And sometimes we have idols in our lives that God wants to get rid of before he can do what he wants to do. And to get rid of that idol means you're going to have to face your fear. In this case, it was fear of people. Fear of his own family. What's my family going to do? I had to choose between honoring God or honoring my family. My family's going to get PO'd about this. And God wants me to do this. God's gracious. Maybe I should put my family first on this one. You know what? That would have led to disobedience. The fear of man, Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man will prove to be a snare to you. If you place anything in your life greater than God as an idol, anything that you place of greater value, of greater importance, that you make your decisions based off of that's an idol. If you want God to do things for you to overcome great odds, you're going to have to make sure you obey Him. And you're going to have to probably do your part in getting rid of idols or things that would prevent God from putting His blessing on that situation. And, and, and Gideon did that. And he got rid of those idols. Another verse, I think of Jonah 2.8, it just says, Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. God wants to be gracious to you and I. He, he wants to respond to our faith. But when we cling to idols, He says, you forfeit the grace I was going to give you on that because you're clinging to this idol. And I want you to obey me related to that idol and, and let go of it or place it at a lower priority than me. And then this grace will be unleashed that you need. And so if you've got idols in your life, and you know, I think about Jesus. He kind of taught on this. When it comes to obeying Jesus as His disciple, He said some really strong things about this specifically. Um, And he said, here's a list of things that could prevent you from obeying Him and following Him. He said this in Luke 14, 
25, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, He said, If anyone comes to Me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be My disciple. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow Me cannot be My disciple. He finishes that section by saying, In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be My disciple. And Jesus went through a list of things that would prevent us from obeying Him, from following Him. And the first one is just a list of people. It's a list of people who could prevent you from obeying Christ. It's a father and a mother you're hopefully blessed with parents who are helping you to obey Christ, but if they're not, you have to decide, is this Jesus or am I going to follow them? A wife or children. Sometimes we have people that are encouraging us to obey God. Sometimes those very people would not encourage us to obey God. You know, and the worst one of them all on the list as it progresses is your own life. You know, the worst enemy to you following Christ is, is yourself. The greatest person to get in the way to be an idol is possibly... You and I, ourselves. And we have to make sure that uh, we have no idols, nothing too sacred uh, to give or to get rid of in, in order to follow Christ, or at least to have it in its right place, its rightful place. And so anyways, um, there's that verse there. The last thing we have, so there's a little bit of, little bit of faith, a little bit of humility, a little bit of faith, a little bit of obedience, and a great God. And we can overcome these odds here. You know, this is just some, some last parts here, just of what God did. Um, I like this one. God specializes in going against the odds. You know that situation here in chapter 7? Um, you know, Gideon uh, rallied an army. And he got 32,000 people together to face 135,000 people. And you know, I was trying to, I did some, some math on that, but 135,000 in the army was facing. 32,000 he rallied. Basically it was 4.2 people. Uh, the odds was 1 against 4.2 people. All you had to do in the fight, get your sword out, take out 1, 2, 3, 4, and maybe an arm of another guy, and you, you route the enemy there, 4.2. But God said, hey, look, this is, that's way too easy. That, that's not odds that I like to overcome. Let's get rid of anyone who's afraid, send them out of here. And so, um, you know, it said 22,000 people left. They were left with 10,000. The odds on 10,000 against 135 are 13.5 are to 1. And so this fight, you get out there, and if you can, if you can get rid of 13.5 people, I don't know how you, if a sword can make it through the body all the way in the middle there, but um, you know, uh, then you defeat all of your enemies. And so God is like, this is still too much. You know, that's, that's not ridiculous odds, 13.5. Then He says, okay, let's narrow it down here to 300. I want 300 people facing 135,000. Those odds are 450 to 1. You're going into battle and you go, okay guys, you know, guys on either side, 450, let's go do this thing, you know, and you just think about like, one, two, three, ten, okay, only 440 more to go, guys, let's do this, you know, let's just, and I think about just, can you imagine even a, I don't even know if I could swing a sword 450 times just back and forth without, you know, doing some PX90 or something like that. Um, but that's the odds God wanted. He said, let's, let's put this in a situation that there's going to be no confusion. If I didn't come through for, for you, this, this wasn't going to happen. He cleared up that confusion. God loves to clear up the confusion. And so if you're finding yourself in a situation that is against great odds, you know, with a little bit of humility, a little bit of faith, a little bit of obedience, I think your great God can help you overcome that. He can help us overcome that. And so, uh, you know, He's given us His Spirit. I love how it just says that uh, at one point in the New Living Translation, it said, the Spirit of the Lord took possession of Gideon. 
You know, from the very beginning, when God's like, okay, you cleared the idols out, let's rock and roll, it says the Spirit of the Lord took possession of Gideon. And then he rocked and rolled. And it was God doing it because He was controlling him. But, you know, if, if you want God to use you or help overcome things, does the Holy Spirit have control of you? You know, there's different Old Testament uh, Holy Spirit doctrine and New Testament doctrine, but um, the real question is still the same. Have you yielded your life to the Spirit of God? You know, on the inside, He gives you everything you need to make those choices, to help you to will and to act. He can help you choose to obey. He can help you have the faith you need and the humility you need. Externally, He he does things for us as well. You know, it wasn't the case in the end that Gideon and all the guys took out 450 men each, you know? In the end, they blew a trumpet, and what happened? Well, this one here says, 300 trumpets sounded. The Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. They blew their trumpets, and the Midianites and the Amalekites started going at each other. And if I understand the numbers correctly, they probably took out close to 120,000 of themselves. And then Gideon went on to chase the rest of the survivors. I think it was 15,000 more. But God didn't even have them take out all those guys. He just had them blow a trumpet. And, and they killed themselves. But God can work internally through His Spirit, giving you the, the faith, the humility, the courage, whatever you need to do what He wants. And then externally, He can do things like cause these people to freak out and start killing each other. And hopefully you're not in a situation where that's required at all. But you know what I mean. God can work externally, the sovereignty of, of, of the Holy Spirit that way, and internally He works as well. And so... Um, we're going to go ahead and you know, just close up here. But as we think about this, I encourage you to look over your life and see if there's something where um, you could unleash God, a great God, just with a little bit of humility. Are you humble? Are you humble in heart? Or do you have a little bit of faith that He can respond to? Are you willing to obey, even in getting rid of whatever that idol might be? And are you yielded to a great God? Because He can overcome amazing odds here. And so we're going to go ahead and pray again. We're going to be talking about some of our plans as a church, which we, um, you know, by the time we're done explaining those plans to you, you'll find out we are facing insurmountable odds ourselves uh, in many ways. But, uh, but we think God wants to do this. And so I think He's going to lead us in and He's going to provide for it. And we're, we'll tell you more at the leadership meeting this Tuesday night. Worship night, we're just going to have a, a great time worshiping our God together, breaking bread together. And then next Sunday, we're going to honor moms. And then we're going to scare the heck out of people with a vision here. So um, anyways, uh, let's go ahead and pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we do just thank You uh, for this example You've given us uh, in Gideon. Lord, he was not a, a superstar. He was not a superhero. He was probably a goober. And, and more than that, he was humble. Lord, I pray You'd help us be men and women who are humble. God, help us to be men and women who, who trust You, who trust You, take You at Your promises, who, who walk by faith, even little bits of faith, even if, Lord, You'll do this and see You respond in big ways. Help us to be men and women who obey You, God. We don't just pray about obeying, but that we do actually obey You. Help us do that. And God, we just pray that You would take possession of us by Your Spirit to accomplish all that You want to accomplish in this city and in this church and in our lives. Lord, we just ask You would do that for Your glory. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you guys for coming this morning, and hopefully we'll catch you next week uh, for Mother's Day or the pastor's pastor's social here, or Tuesday or Wednesday night as well. So thanks again.